and speak to Brian Waddle from Radio New Zealand about the big story in world cricket. New Zealand has been in the cricket headlines this week, even though its national team is not in action. The story centres on the ongoing investigation into alleged match-fixing, an investigation in which former player Lou Vincent and current player Brendan McCullum have given evidence to the ICC's ACSU, its anti-corruption and security unit. McCullum, along with former New Zealand players Chris Cairns and Daryl Tuffy, have strongly denied any involvement with match-fixing. Brian Waddle from Radio Sport New Zealand joins me now to discuss the story. Brian, thanks for your time today on Cow Corner. Pleasure, Peter. Who has been accused of match-fixing exactly? Well, it, uh, it stems from uh, some investigations done by the ACSU into uh, three players uh, originally, and the story broke in December last year that apparently they were investigating the activities of Lou Vincent, Daryl Tuffy and Chris Cairns. Now, a lot of what has come out has been uh, leaked material, uh, leaked evidence that has been given by certain people to the ACSU, and uh, the allegations centre then around uh, endeavours to uh, get players to fix matches uh, that they have played in in various parts of the world. Um, Lou Vincent, former New Zealand batsman, has come out after having been uh, given after having been one of those players who apparently has uh, been fixing matches and was alleged to have done so, has been spoken to by the ACSU and his testimony has been leaked. He has not denied what has been said and uh, it has basically covered uh, a, a, a wide area, a long period of time and a number of people. These leaks uh, were published by a British newspaper. It also involves the, uh, the testimony of, of Brendan McCullum who has been speaking to uh, this uh, ACSU. Uh, I understand there's no suggestion at all that McCullum's involved in, in match-fixing? No, it's been denied by uh, the International Cricket Conference and has also uh, been denied by McCullum at a press conference this morning that he has cooperated with the ACSU after he was invited to give testimony. Apparently he was approached at some stage and uh, the ICC are satisfied with uh, what McCullum has done and the way he has handled the issues. But his testimony has been quite revealing, along with testimony from a number of others that have been made public, both in New Zealand in the uh, newspapers here, in the Daily Telegraph, and in the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom. So it's uh, it's certainly widespread in terms of the information that's now publicly available. So these these leaks, these these published testimonies, uh, clearly they're not helping the progress of this investigation. Are, are you, from your point of view, are you uh, do you have a sense that there's something will come of these um, this inquiry into this uh, big problem? 
I'm sure in time something's going to come of it because uh, these won't go away. The sad fact, of course, is that it doesn't help that the allegations are made public without any evidence or without any confirmation. Many of the allegations uh, allege uh, Chris Cairns has been involved. He has uh, vehemently denied that he has been involved in any uh, issues that he's been uh, uh, alleged to have taken part in. And uh, the, the sad part about it is, of course, that um, it is going to go on for a while. If they're going to have a case taken, then it's going to take, so they say, 12 to 18 months. I suppose with all these leaks, the issue has probably been pushed into the public limelight, therefore forcing the hand of those who are investigating mm. these issues, and it may well uh, happen a little quicker. The issue, I think, is that there's been a lot of criticism of the ACSU that they haven't done much in the last 10 years, and there's been very uh, little in terms of actual evidence against players being presented and uh, bans being initiated, yet there is constant suggestions that there is match-fixing and uh, illegal activities being undertaken the world over. People following the story will be aware of the role of, of Player X. Uh, what exactly is it, has... Uh, Alleged to have been the role of Player X in this story. Well, apparently uh, Player X has been uh, responsible for uh, trying to induce players to fix matches. He's been uh, identified as uh, as Chris Cairns, although Cairns denies that he is the player and denies that he has done anything that has been alleged in these various leaks. However, he has been uh, castigated publicly in New Zealand by the former wife of Lou Vincent, and she has been on television uh, in New Zealand, or her, her testimony to the ACSU has been on television in New Zealand, incriminating um, Cairns, who, as I say, has uh, denied all knowledge and has basically said the allegations against him are complete lies. Now, the New Zealand uh, cricket community is a pretty small one. How is this being received in cricket circles in New Zealand? Well, I think in cricket circles, uh, the, the, the administration of the game uh, are basically powerless to do anything. They've come out uh, strongly in support of Brendan McCullum because there is no reason to suspect McCullum has done anything wrong. Uh, and really, the, the PR on all this is not good for the game in New Zealand. Next year, New Zealand and Australia host the World Cup and the last thing they need is this sort of controversy hanging over the game in this part of the world. I see where Michael Clark said yesterday that none of the Australian team uh, would be uh, ever suspected of doing anything, and he's quite satisfied that the Australian team is not involved in, in any of this kind of uh, stuff. And, and, and I, I think the same about New Zealand. I mean, what we're talking about is former players, and we're talking about a long period of time uh, going back to the year 2008 when it first came to the fore. Are we talking about matches involving the national team itself? No, there's uh, no suggestion that they are a part of any international cricket. The matches that have basically been identified have been matches in the uh, now defunct Indian Cricket mm. League. There have been some uh, three or four T20 matches in England that have uh, also been uh, suggested were uh, part of match fixing. And uh, Lou Vincent, apparently in his testimony to the ACSU, also instanced matches in Zimbabwe, uh, the Hong Kong Sixers, and in Bangladesh. 
uh, as part of uh, the the widespread corruption that has been seen and has been alleged, but nothing to do with international cricket as such by uh, any of the international sides or any teams uh, that have been playing international cricket. And it's a mid-rugby season in New Zealand. How big a story is it there in the in sporting circles? Big story, huge story. Um, it's been lead item on uh, the main television channel news for the last three nights. It's front page news in the major daily newspapers. It's strongly uh, part of uh, radio sport and uh, talkback. And uh, everybody, as you'll imagine, has an opinion. Uh, bearing in mind, they have to tread very carefully about what they say and uh, what they intimate. But much of the stuff is now out in the public domain. Uh, it's very hard to ignore it. And so it has become a big story. And it's detracting a little bit from a New Zealand side that leaves in the next couple of days for a three-test tour of the West Indies. You know, All these things are rather negatives. And the general opinion is from most New Zealanders that it's a, a sad commentary on the game, not in New Zealand as such, it's a sad commentary on the game worldwide. But there's also the belief that the game is bigger than many of these individuals. The game will survive, but there has to be uh, some proactive work done to ensure that none of this stuff damages the game any more than it is at the moment in terms of its public profile. Thanks for your time, Brian. We do appreciate it. Pleasure, Peter. This is Cow Corner. ABC Grandstands Cricket Show. Peter Newland's with you on Grandstand Digital and across the Pacific on Radio Australia. Well, Michael Clark spoke to the assembled media yesterday and gave his thoughts on the integrity of the game as he sees it. Look, I think I've made it clear a number of times that um, you know any sort of corruption in our game is, is certainly not welcomed. Um, you know, as an Australian cricket, I'm very proud of. Um, what this current team um, has done and achieved, and I think we are we are educated very well on what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I think we're very fortunate as well with the Australian cricket team that we have a lot of good people uh, in important positions taking care of this stuff. So we as players can be really focused on making sure we do uh, our job on the field. Um, the ICC and Cricket Australia can look after these sort of things off the field. Are you confident about the blokes you've played with in the Australian cricket team? I'm extre- I'm extremely confident about the players that I've played. With, like I said, for um, you know, for this Australian team, um, they all know very clearly that there's there's no room for for corruption uh, in our team. Uh, we uh, a, a big part of our job is to uphold the integrity of our sport, um, and I think we do that well. How early does that education start as a top, top Australian cricketer? Uh, well, what was I? 21 when I played my first ODI for Australia and I think it probably started then in regards to international cricket but these days you get educated from a very young age. I think once you come into the state system, the first class system uh, even as a rookie contract so for some guys it starts at 16 years of age um, and like I say I think the educational process that um, Australian cricketers go through is extremely thorough and we know the difference between right and wrong and what is accepted and what isn't. Michael Clark there yesterday. Meanwhile, Ryan Harris told reporters his recovery from reconstructive knee surgery is going well and of his hopes of being involved in next year's World Cup, the 50-over version. The most asked question I'm getting lately, no, it's good. It's um, really, really, good. really, really good. I've, I've had a really good, um, I guess, rehab after the, after the surgery. Um, I'm, I'm just about walking normally, which, which I haven't done for about two years, so it's, uh, it's on track. It's, just, it's been slow. But, and frustrating at times, but um, it's all on track. What's the next step? Uh, more rehab. And uh, look, I think Dubai was a goal. I'm not sure I'm going to get there, to be honest. Um, 
but which in the scheme of things, um, you know, it's, it's disappointing. But we've got uh, you know a big summer coming up with you know, India, and I, I want to be up there pushing for one day selection as well. So um, you know, if, if, if missing a series like that means, I guess, I'll say like that, missing a series, play, you know, playing for Australia, I'm going to miss. I'm, I really want to be there. But uh, if it means you know, um, you know playing a bit longer. And, 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 and sort of taking my knee slower, I'll have to do it. I've been wanting to, wanting to play one day cricket for a long time, but um, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, playing Test cricket, they've, they've sort of pigeonholed me a little bit. But also, uh, the team that we've had, the bowlers we've had in there, have done very good. So, and that's the next step for me to, to you know, hopefully get a bit of one day cricket under my belt early in the season and try and push some selection. It's going to be tough to get back in that side, but um, it, it's going to be great fun. I, I'd love, I was, I've been part of a 2020 World Cup. I want to be, I want to play. Uh, and win a, a 50 over World Cup before I, before I retire. This is Cow Corner. The arrival of the new Wisden Cricketers' Almanac each year is usually an annual joy for cricket fans. The book is well known and loved around the cricket world as the journal of record for results, player stats and written pieces that reflect the times. A recent publication, Wisden on the Great War, is a companion to those who appreciate and collect the volume and is a powerful reminder of the horrific toll of the 1914-18 war, or indeed any war. For the years 1916 to 1918, Wisdom was nothing more than a series of obituaries. Andrew Renshaw is the editor of Wisdom on the Great War, and he joins me now on Cow Corner. Hello, Peter. It's good to talk to you. What's, could you describe the world of cricket, in particular in England, prior to the outbreak of war um, 100 years ago in 1914? Well, they were good days. I mean, in fact, only uh, the day before war was declared, Jack Hobbs was scoring a century on a bank hot, sunlit bank holiday at the Oval, and the crowds were really enjoying it. And it had been a good county championship uh, summer, well fought. Um, Surrey eventually were nominated as champions, but uh, they were being challenged hard by Middlesex, and there were glorious days. And then suddenly came the declaration of war on August the 4th. In uh, fact, cricket did continue for another month. One or two games were cancelled. Players went off, uh, signed up, and had to uh, get on with uh, the war that was uh, already happening on the continent by the middle of August. And it was W.G. Grace who actually wrote a letter to the sportsman who suggested it was time to stop playing cricket. And so at the beginning of September, the county championship was abandoned um, and eventually Surrey were nominated as champions, although a couple of matches hadn't been played. Do you have a figure as to how many first-class cricketers were killed in the war? I have got a figure. It's in the book and it's the first time there's ever been a definitive list the list, the number I have in the book, and I had a lot of help from a historian on this, and we finessed the results over the last couple of years or so, so we think it's right. The number is 289. Of those, in fact, uh, 200 got obituaries in Wisdom, 89 didn't. So I have actually written brief obituaries for the 89 who weren't uh, subjects of the ultimate accolade, really, from wisdom of having an obituary. So the war ran from 1914 to 1918. Now, of course, 
all cricket was suspended, including international matches. And it's interesting to speculate, isn't it, Andrew, as to what might have been had there been no war, because there was a, an Ashes series scheduled to be played in 1917. And uh, this, this potential series you might refer to as, a, as an invisible series, or the Australian team might be called the Invisibles. Can you sort of put together a, a picture of what those sides might have looked like if there had been no war and that 1917 series had gone ahead? Well, there's a wonderful article by Max Bonnell, which actually is headlined, The Invisibles. This was in the seventh edition of Wisden Australia, that uh, wonderful almanac that actually only lasted for eight years. But Max Bonnell's piece in 2004, headed The Invisibles, is a fascinating piece of what if. Let's assume, he says, in choosing the 1917 Australian team, which never was, that everyone was fit, available in and in form, it would have ranked, he said, among the most powerful sides ever assembled. But the one that really stands out for me, the, the man uh, who would have been in that side, is Norman Calloway, described by Bonnell as a nuggety country boy. But he played one game. It was the last game, in fact, played in Australia, uh, before the games were held up, it was in February 1915, New South Wales against Queensland. In goes Callaway, his first match on debut, and he scores 207 in even time. And Bono says, playing all his strokes as if time was running out. It was. That was Callaway's only first-class innings. A few weeks after his 21st birthday, he was blasted into the mud in France. His remains never recovered. There is no telling what he might have done. And in fact, I mean, that, that is um, what the paper reporting, the Sydney Morning Herald reporting on that match, said he should certainly rise to great heights, all going well with him. Well, of course, it didn't go well with him. Fascinatingly, there was a man on the other side for Queensland, George Popel. He also was playing his one and only match. So they're on opposite sides for their single first-class match. They were very soon on the same side and died both in 1917. On Cow Corner, I'm speaking with Andrew Renshaw, the editor of the book Wisdom on the Great War. You mentioned there Norm Calloway and George Popple on opposing sides in the last Shield match before play was suspended because of the war. But there's some light in there as well. There's the story of the Australian George Alpin, whose uh, death was recorded in uh, the Wisden Almanac, but it turns out uh, it didn't die at all during the war. Well, there is a bit of light um, amongst these 1,800 obituaries. I discovered there were three men who survived their Wisden obituary. Uh, two of them uh, Englishmen, and they survived for a long time. I mean, one for 70 years afterwards, another for 50 years. But the obituary in Wisdom 1917 of the death in 1916 of the Australian just simply says, Mr. George R. Alpen, one of the best-known cricketers of Belgium, has been killed in the war, but no particulars are obtainable. He was an Australian by birth. So that's all Wisdom said. So it actually doesn't even give a date, doesn't 
say anything about him other than he's Australian and a well-known cricketer in Belgium. Well, there weren't many well-known cricketers in Belgium. It's hard to understand how this obituary got in. But I can tell you, we caught up with uh, George Alpen only in the Second War because his son fled from Brussels and uh, came to London where he wanted to join the forces. And there was a newspaper report in the Brisbane papers, the Courier Mail Brisbane, all about the Australian who had gone from Brussels wanting to join the AIF. And then, so it says he's Cecil Alpen is the son of George Alpen, who had been living in Brussels since his retirement. So we catch up with Alpen in the Second World War. We discover, in fact, from these newspaper reports that uh, he had uh, been taken prisoner in the First World War. And the only problem is I haven't been able to find out very much about George Alpen. But there must be family living in Albury in New South Wales uh, still because he was one of 12 children. Big family, um, very important family. So I'm sure some of your listeners might know about George Alpen. And do you know I'd love to have a photograph and more information about him. Well, if there's someone out there who, who does know more about the Alpen story, they can, uh, they can contact uh, us at Grandstand and we can, we can certainly get in contact with you. Andrew, the, the war finished, thank goodness, in uh, November 1918, not a second too soon. What was the story with the cricket in, in the UK in particular the following year, what, six months later when, when spring, summer rolled around? What was going on? I mean, what was the mood well, like around did, the game? They did get going again very quickly. I mean, they, they were always in readiness, as it were, that if, if the war had ended at any time. But in 19... 19- 19, the man who scored a lot of runs was Patsy Hendren. He had a wonderful season, and Wisden actually reports that he had the pleasantest of seasons and made him one of their cricketers of the year. But I wonder how pleasant it was. He had lost a much-beloved younger brother, and I'm sure he would have dedicated so many of his centuries to his younger brother. So it wasn't all that pleasant, but people were determined to get back to normal. Andrew Rinchall, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Peter. It's good to speak to you. This is Cow Corner. And as we go out this week, stat of the week as always, on a much lighter note, Kristen Kalachuran. I don't think he's a relation to the famous left-hander from the 1970s and 80s, Alvin Kalachuran, playing an under-14s game in Trinidad for his school, Vishnu College, 404 in 35 overs, if you don't mind, 44 fours and 31 sixes. And their opponents, Valencia High, didn't do so well, all out for 89. That young Kristen Kalacharan, a name to remember, he's captain of his province's under-15 team and has made another double century so far this season. A talent on the rise. That's all for Cow Corner this week. There'll be more at the same time next week. Enjoy your week in cricket. Oh, damn it. Missed it again. If you've missed a show on Grandstand Digital, 
Don't worry. You can go online and listen again. And listen again. Simply log on to abc.net.au slash grandstand and click on the audio link. So if you miss a show, you know where to go. abc.net.au slash grandstand. Grandstand AFL bring you a brand new footy show. Welcome to the Saturday Agenda. The Saturday Agenda. I'll be with you, Jared Whateley. Mark McClure will always be with me. Sellers, welcome back to Grandstand AFL. G'day, Jared. How are you? Very well. The Saturday Agenda. We're going to be joined in this spot each week by the sharpest minds in the game and a real contemporary feel with a current player with us each day. The Saturday Agenda. Every Saturday during the home and away season on ABC Grandstand Digital. Grandstand Digital. Join Alistair Nicholson and Zane Bojack for the dogleg. It's on its way from a metre. He's put it in. Adam Scott fist pumps the air. Stay up to date with the latest golf news from around the world with the dogleg. Hey, this is Matt Kuchar and you're listening to the dogleg. On ABC Grandstand Digital via the ABC radio app. And available to download and subscribe as a podcast at abc.net.au slash grandstand.